This podcast is a production of Open Pediatrics, an open access online community of healthcare professionals sharing best practices from around the world. Visit openpediatrics.org for more. Hello, and welcome to this Nursing World Shared Practice Forum. I'm Dr. Laura Wood. I'm the Executive Vice President of Patient Care Operations and System Chief Nursing Officer at Boston Children's Hospital. I'm really pleased to have as our guest today, Dr. Ernest J. Grant. Dr. Grant is the immediate past president of the American Nurses Association, the nation's largest nurses organization representing the interests of the nation's 4.3 million registered nurses. He's also the first man to be elected to the Office of President of the American Nursing Association in its 128 years of existence. A distinguished leader, Dr. Grant has more than 30 years of nursing experience and is truly an internationally recognized burn care and fire safety expert. For the past four years in a row, Dr. Grant has been recognized by Modern Healthcare Magazine as one of 50 influential clinical executives in healthcare and as one of 100 most influential people in healthcare. In 2002, President George W. Bush presented Dr. Grant with a Nurse of the Year Award for his work treating burn victims from the World Trade Center site. He was inducted as a fellow in the American Academy of Nursing in 2011. Dr. Grant holds a BSN degree from North Carolina Central University in both MSN and PhD degrees from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Dr. Grant, welcome. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Dr. Grant, can you share with us how the work of the National Commission to Address Racism in Nursing got started and really why? Well, the commission got started um, as a result of the death of George Floyd. Um, and also part of uh, COVID that was happening as well. Uh, one of the things that we began to notice uh, with COVID was that there is a lot of inequities in healthcare and a lot of inequities that was showing up within the nursing workforce itself. We did a series of Pulse of the Nation's nurses surveys, and some of those surveys showed that Black and Latino nurses were more likely than their white colleagues to be at the bedside of caring for someone who was actively shedding the, the virus. They also were more likely to have become infected uh, with the virus as a result of that. As they also uh, answered different portions of the surveys, we also saw just the, as I said, the continued inequities uh, in the uh, care that, uh, you know, that was being done. So uh, that uh, caused us to have pause and to um, you know, think about you know, what is going on in the profession we also started hearing other nurses talking about uh, the inequities that they had experienced uh, over their nursing career. And as a result of that, we started the Commission to Address Racism in Nursing. Would you discuss the origins of the nursing definition on racism? Certainly. So the, uh, the definition uh, that is used is the assault on the human spirit in the forms of actions, biases, prejudices, and ideology of superiority based on race that persistently cause moral suffering and physical harm of individuals and perpetuates systemic injustice and inequalities. The commission itself, um, after much discussion, and let me add that the commission is composed of four major nursing organizations. There's the American Nurses Association, the National Black Nurses Association, the National Association of Hispanic Nurses, 
and the Nationalist Coalition of Ethnic and Minority Nurses Association. So each of us share a co-lead position. Uh, there are 36 other nursing organizations that make up part of the commission as well. And so this definition came out of a lot of hard work that was done, um, you know, not only from the, the four co-leads, but also we have a resident and scholar whose name is Dr. Rume Alexander, who guided this work. And uh, you can imagine what it's like to have uh, 40 plus organizations in the room to try to reach consensus. But uh, we were uh, really amazed with how quickly that we were able to, uh, to, you know, to reach this consensus uh, with this definition. And we call it a nursing definition because it does um, include both mind, body and spirit, if you will. And if you really stop and think about it, when you think that it involves the moral uh, issue as well as the, uh, the, the mental component, um, it, it fits right up there with, uh, with nursing and who we are and what we do. So I've been very, very pleased to see that um, this definition has been adopted by other organizations as well as we have uh, pursued this work. And uh, uh, so we'll continue to uh, uh, obviously look for, are we still current uh, you know, with this definition or do we need to tweak it a little bit as the work of the commission continues? I think that focus on the holistic approach to the whole person and to the system is uh, characteristic of nursing. Can you share with us the purpose and the goals and really why the ANA uh, racial reckoning statement matters to the profession of nursing in order to move the discipline forward? That's a really great question. I think the uh, the purpose is, uh, as I said, it came out as a result of the surveys that we were seeing. So the purpose was to uh, address the issue of racism within the profession and uh, actually alleviate it um, and to serve as a model for other uh, members of healthcare professions and as society as a lo uh, at large uh, to uh, you know, bring this to the forefront, have the difficult discussions that need to be had and um, uh, address this issue. Um, ANA itself, uh, in order to recognize or to, uh, we realized that we were going to have to put forth some recommendations, but we realized that in order to do that and to be taken seriously, we had to address our own uh, you know, racist behavior that had occurred. Uh, you know, between the years of 1916 and 1964, nurses of color could not even be members of the American Nurses Association. Uh, let alone hold office. And uh, so you can imagine what it would be like to put forth recommendations to say, oh, this is the recipe for addressing re racism within nursing when we hadn't even addressed it ourselves. So as a result of that, uh, the American Nurses Association also came up with a reckoning statement in which it did apologize for uh, acts of omission or commission that limited the, the growth and the uh, professional development of nurses of color over the, the, the years and um, recognizing that this is a journey that we're going to have to go on with all the different ethnic and minority nursing organizations across the country and to realize that this journey is going to be different for each uh, organization. In other words, the, the journey we're going on with the National Black Nurses Association is going to be different than the journey we go on with the Hispanic nurses or the Native uh, American Pacific Islander nurses. The ultimate goal being the same, but um, you know, obviously each one of these organizations have experienced uh, you know, racism in different forms and different formats. And so that's why the, the journey is going to be a little bit uh, different. 
uh, as we continue to move forward, it is something that we are working on together. Um, as I told the National Black Nurses Association when the apology was issued, the comment was made, oh, we'll accept your apology, but we're going to wait and see how your actions are. Uh, and I mentioned that it's not just ANA's actions alone. You can't expect ANA to do something and then sit back and wait for your approval. This is something, a journey that we have to go on together. And um, by doing so, um, we both are, both organizations, ANA and the specific organizations, are invested in uh, helping to alleviate the, uh, you know, the, the racism practice that we are, are seeing and begin to address. And as a result of that, we'll be able to have a much more successful um, journey, if you will, as opposed to just ANA going in alone and setting back and waiting for approval from the different nursing organizations. Yeah, I mean, the attention of tying so many different groups together and then really saying it needs to be a, a shared process, yes. um, really important points of distinction, I think, in yes. the approach that ANA took and that you helped to lead through. In 2022, a national survey was conducted on racism in nursing. Could you share some of the findings from that survey? Yes, that survey is part of a series of Pulse of the Nation's nurses surveys that we did as a result of COVID. Um, the first one of those surveys showed that, uh, first of all, nurses were suffering from a lot of mental and physical fatigue. And that has still continued as we have done those uh, subsequent surveys, even to this very day. Uh, part of that survey also showed, the, the initial survey showed that black nurses and Latino nurses were affected differently than their white colleagues. Um, for instance, um, nurses of color were probably more likely to have a more financial impact uh, than their white colleagues, so much so that they either had to resort to um, borrowing money or letting some bills lapse or foregoing um, you know, payment or repayment of student loans that they may have had. Um, and again, it was also reported that uh, those nurses of color were more likely to be at the bedside providing care for someone who had um, uh, sustained a, a COVID in infection than their white colleagues. It also pointed out, too, that, um, again, the inequities in, uh, in care that was, uh, that was being done. So that, all of that together is what helped to drive the formation of the commission, uh, the goals of the commission to help alleviate the uh, inequities and the racism that we were seeing, and uh, also to, uh, uh, I guess, create some standards and address, uh, you know, how are we going to uh, resolve the racism issue? And we're addressing it on four particular fronts. Uh, first one is nursing education. Uh, like a newborn baby who is, is born, you, you, you're not born prejudiced or, or born with, uh, with racism. So the same thing uh, with nursing students. When they enter nursing school, it's what is either taught to them or what they may read in textbooks or what they may experience either in the clinical setting that maybe have them... Uh, developing, you know, such uh, such thoughts or such feelings. And uh, maybe they know it's wrong, but in the role of a student, in the role of a new nurse, perhaps they're afraid to speak up. And the next thing you know, it becomes uh, inculcated into their, their culture, so to speak. 
the second form is in the, the area of clinical practice. And again, um, just realizing the differences in care that may happen with uh, uh, someone or, or different uh, individuals. And again, not feeling at ease to speak up and, and question mm-hmm. this is uh, some of the things that may perpetuate that. Uh, the third area is uh, nursing research. We know that uh, nurses of color are not uh, awarded research grants uh, at the same level that their white colleagues are. And as a result of that, nurses of color, people of color, uh, different ethnicities are not uh, necessarily included in the various um, results, if you will, uh, of how uh, a research intervention, we understand how it may affect um, you know, people from the Caucasian race, but does that apply to the different ethnicities across the board as well? So that is a very valuable and much needed um, you know, bit of uh, research and information that is needed. So we strongly encourage uh, more nurses of color to apply uh, for research grant and to, uh, to do research grants. And then finally, the fourth one is policy. You know, looking at what are policies, what are guidelines, what are uh, you know, various things out there that may block the advancement of nurses of color as they want to either uh, ascend the career ladder or the leadership ladder? Uh, what are some of the things that are um, stumbling blocks and how do we address those so that uh, you know, the uh, playing field is made level mm-hmm. for everyone uh, so that you are uh, considered for uh, advancement in certain positions that perhaps you may not have been considered for in previous uh, settings? I think several of the points you made really stand out for me, but um, thinking about what happened during COVID, uh, those nurses were in more were, were exposed to more vulnerabilities, if you will, uh, more likely to be uh, in direct care roles, um, and um, probably uh, in some cases, at least perhaps many cases, had fewer resources to start with to really fall back on financially Absolutely. and mm-hmm. other kinds of supports. Again feeding on a, a pattern of perhaps more risk, more vulnerability, and Absolutely. just understanding that. Yeah, and, and that brings home the importance of leveling the playing field. You know, are they, you know, paid, you know, do, do they get the same pay as mm-hmm. their their white colleagues who may have the same degree, may have the same years of experience, but um, uh, or maybe um, looking at their lived experiences as well is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some of the things to take into mm-hmm. consideration when we're, Uh, looking at this from an equity perspective. That's right. So I wanted to ask a little bit further about how systemic racism specifically influences the experience of racism. Can you share a little bit more about your perspective on that? Certainly. Um, So a lot of times what we may hear from from our, our, our white colleagues is, okay, that was in the past. Uh, you know, that's uh, that's not me. Why am I being, um, you know, forced, if you will, to uh, acknowledge something that happened in the uh, the past? And, and my response to that is, you know, as the old saying go, if you don't know your history, it's bound to repeat. Mm-hmm. And yes, this is work that all of us have to do. Mm-hmm. But it's important that we acknowledge that this happened mm-hmm. and uh, to ensure that it doesn't happen again everyone needs to have a complete understanding of that and how do we move forward? Well, we move forward by working together, um, you know, setting down, having those critical conversations. And sometimes it may mean that, uh, you know, having a white nurse to understand the privilege that they may have over a person of color. And I'll give you an example. 
If I were to walk into a jewelry store, and even though I'm sitting here, you're, you know, the audience may not realize that I'm six foot six. Mm -hmm. They know that I'm an African-American male. But if I was to walk into a jewelry store, mm -hmm. chances are I'm going to be followed around in that jewelry store and maybe every 15 or 20 seconds be asked, may I help you? Or is there something that you're looking for? A white colleague, six foot six, maybe just as imposing, can come into that jewelry store and he may be greeted, he or she may be greeted, hello, uh, you know, may I help you? But that's it. They're going to be allowed to roam around that store to look at various things through the, uh, you know, the, the glass case and nothing is thought of them. Uh, you know, they're not going to be followed around like, uh, you know, like I would be. That's what we mean when we say, the, you know, that you are privileged and yeah. that, um, uh, you know, you're, you don't have to stop and think twice about, OK, if I go in this store Am I going to be followed? Am I going to be questioned? Or is someone going to, uh, you know, instantly think that, oh, well, the only reason you're coming in here is to shoplift. No matter, you know, I could be dressed like I am today, mm -hmm. or I could be dressed in, you know, just blue jeans and a, and a, uh, a, a T-shirt. It doesn't matter how, <clears throat> how I may present myself in my dress, but I'm still going to be followed just because of the fact that I'm a six foot six African-American male and you know, uh, maybe the experience of that store is that, you know, they may have been robbed before or, or something like that, but they shouldn't lump me in the same category as they automatically do for other men of color mm -hmm. uh, or because of the way you, know, you may be dressed. Uh, you know, it could be not necessarily a black individual. It could be someone from, uh, you know, maybe um, Asian background or someone, uh, you know, from other uh, another foreign country who because of the their culture and the clothing that they wear, there's that automatic suspicion that- Carrying that additional yes, weight. Absolutely. Yeah. And and so to get people to realize that um, you know, I'm having to carry that uh, additional weight gives you the, the privilege because no one is going to think twice that you are a Caucasian individual and you walked into the store or this room or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you know there there's not gonna be uh, any suspicion associated with you, even the, the way you may carry yourself, the way you may present yourself, mm -hmm. as opposed to, to a person of color. You, you uh, express that in a way that's very clear, but I think there's a lot that many of us take for granted and helping us to realize that uh, this uh, is a weight that many carry in society and oh. particularly those of color. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and the, the whole idea about having those crucial conversations is to it's not to be an accusatory manner, but it's a way to uh, get you to uh, open your eyes, so to speak, and to, to realize that. And again, what can we do together mm -hmm. to work on solving this issue? Uh, you know, once, um, you know, we've had that, you know, that, that conversation, how do we move forward to ensure that this uh, doesn't continue to happen? Um, how, do, how do we become an ally? Uh, for one another, not just for, you know, because I, I will will say that there's uh, prejudices on both sides, you know, you could say that, uh, you know, but we need to uh, be able to have those honest conversations and um, honest and difficult conversations mm -hmm. and uh, and say, how can we check one another mm -hmm. and do so in a positive manner uh, that uh, we can ensure that uh, the playing field is level and that everyone is addressed you know, by the way they would like to be uh, addressed or perceived and not just automatically applying stereotypes. That's right. 
I think uh, I know you well enough to know that your relationship-based focus mm -hmm. in leadership is one of the differentiators, that it's really yes. about doing work together with yes, others absolutely. and and uh, striving towards the, the next frontier yeah. uh, together. With and them. to realize that it takes a lot of patience to, you know, to, to do that. This is not a problem that's going to be solved overnight. That's right. Mm -hmm. uh, the commission put forward a list of top 10 ways to be an anti-racist in nursing. Uh, could you identify maybe one or two that would be important to prioritize and really focus on? Certainly. And, and, and let me say that the commission came up with these uh, 10 uh, ways to be an anti-racist or to be an uh, ally or supporter of the uh, initiative. Because, uh, again, we wanted to, uh, as we have those, those difficult conversations uh, and people begin to realize that, yes, this is a problem, and they may want to say, well, how can I help? Can I, as a single individual, what difference can I make? And you certainly can. So uh, there, like I said, there's a number of uh, 10 things that are, that are there. Uh, one of the first ones is, of course, to uh, be able to actually listen to individuals and uh, hear their stories and not be afraid to ask clarification questions. You know, like, what I hear you saying is, is, is this correct? Or, um, you know, so that uh, the individual know that, A, I'm being heard, and B, I'm being understood. Uh, or if I, you know, if I get the impression that you're not understanding me, then perhaps I can, you know, break it down into a more clear language or, or, or opportunity for, for you to uh, understand where I may be coming from when I make a statement or make a comment. Uh, so it's important that we actively listen to what it is that the individual is saying. Uh, I think one of the other uh, more important ones as well is to give yourself permission to be able to reach out and, and ask uh, the, the individual for uh, clarification on, on various topics and uh, et cetera. And then also to uh, give yourself permission to act as an ally when you see that uh, something wrong is being said or is being done call it into question. Chances are other people that are around you are thinking the same thing. Mm -hmm. They're just waiting on someone to be brave enough to speak first. So there's no harm in saying, why are we treating this person differently than, you know, we're, uh, than, uh, you know, someone else, uh, you know, uh, why, uh, when, uh, a certain person may come into the emergency room late at night, uh, and we're criticizing them for using the emergency room for, their primary uh, care, when we may not understand that that individual may have to work, uh, you know, eight or 10 or 12 hours. Or two jobs. Or two jobs in order to put the food on their pay, uh, their table and to pay their bills, mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, maybe we should look at, huh, maybe the clinic should stay open from eight in the morning till nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night. Uh, you know, for those individuals, and that way they won't use the emergency room as their primary uh, provider. But we can understand that we need to be able to meet those uh, those needs. Uh, you know, talking about access to care, and maybe that person feels that the only way they do have access to care is unfortunately it's going to cost them probably twenty times the amount that it would to, you know, to be able to come into the clinic. Uh, but uh, you know, maybe if we uh, you know try to sit down and talk to them and say. Uh, are you aware, first of all, that there's a clinic that can meet your needs? Um, are you aware that, um, um, uh, you know, there's other services or things that you may be able to take uh, uh, avail yourself of? 
instead of, you know, coming into the emergency room. So all it takes is just setting down and having that conversation with that individual. I was thinking about the, uh, the framework of listening to understand rather than mm-hmm. to, re- to reply. And I yes. think your point of emphasis is on really deep listening and yeah. paying attention to understand and to really try to translate uh, that person's intent. Mm-hmm. Thinking a little bit further, and the commission emphasizes the importance of allyship. What can leaders do? And can you give us some examples of effective allyship? What really are the differentiators of effective um, allyship practices? Sure, absolutely. Uh, again, recognizing that uh, going going back to what I stated earlier, we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. It's important that we work on on this t- together as a team. Uh, so I think one of the most important thing is, uh, you know, as I sort of stated earlier, don't be afraid to ask questions, clarification questions, so that you get an understanding of where that individual may be coming from. And that way it gives you the opportunity to advocate on their behalf and to um, when you see something being done or something said that is wrong, um, then be able to challenge, you know, where did you get that information from? Uh, that is not true. Or, um, you know, maybe, um, you know, ask those those challenging questions and, uh, and, and see. But it's so important to be an ally because that's what's going to drive change. And that's what we all want to do is to be that uh, change agent, if you will, so that we can uh, uh, stamp down the, uh, you know, the amount of racism and prejudices and inequities and, uh, you know, difficult access to care. Uh, we can begin to address those so that they become a thing of the past. So I, I think leaders can uh, set the example, you know, especially people who are in major leadership positions. You know, if you're the chief executive officer, the chief nursing officer, or, you know, whatever of different organizations and, and cultures, it starts with you. You're the one who sets the uh, the culture. And when people see that, um, you know, the culture of the organization is we're not going to be um, uh, tolerant of, you know, racist acts or comments or things that may be done. Uh, you know, that serves as a reinforcement. So, um, so yeah, leaders have that opportunity to help set the, the culture of the organization, if you will, uh, especially when it comes to dealing with allyship. Mm-hmm. An important um important opportunity that uh, we don't want to miss out on. Absolutely. And that they also need to be open to uh, hearing what, uh, you know, those underneath them have to say. You know, if, uh, if I find that there's a policy uh, within an organization that appears to be uh, one that is, uh, does not allow for advancement of people of color or, or whatever, uh, you know, bringing that to uh, the attention of management shouldn't result in uh, retaliation. If anything, it should be embraced mm-hmm. of thank you for, uh, you know, for bringing this forward. And let's see what we can do to, uh, you know, alleviate this, uh, this stumbling block so that everyone, again, we're still just leveling the playing field, but, uh, but being able to uh, know for the employee to know that you are approachable, that this is an issue that we're not just checking the box, but we are very committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And uh, so if that employee is likely to have a positive experience, guess what? They're going to tell their other uh, you know, fellow employees, and people are going to realize that, yes, this is a, an opportunity for change, 
that my ideas, my comments are welcomed, they are acted upon, and that there's communication going both ways, which is extremely important as well, so that uh, change is uh, taking place. And we shouldn't just rest on our laurels when we do that change. We always should uh, constantly be monitoring to make sure that, uh, you know, is it still appropriate or is there something else happening that uh, as a result of that change now that we still need to address and how do we uh, how do we continue to move forward? Yeah, we we uh, focus a lot in healthcare about um, escalating concerns and speaking up for safety, high reliability principles. We use them here at Boston Children's, mm-hmm. um, but that uh, it's a whole nother level of risk, I think, for people Absolutely. sometimes to really um, speak about their direct experiences yes. and um, the ways in which uh, they they're not able to really participate yes. fully without fear. And, and that's really what we want to right. address. And, and they need to feel that they are a valued member of the team. Mm-hmm. You know, we say that there's no I in team and that's, uh, that's, that's crucial, but they need to see and feel the example that, you know, what I have to say is just as important as one of my other colleagues or someone who may be in a managerial mm-hmm. position and that it is, uh, uh, accepted right. and uh, I get feedback on it uh, and, you know, or, or at least clarification. Sometimes I may not be in a position to understand this is why things are because of, uh, you know, something that I haven't thought about, uh, but that other people may have thought about that can clarify that, uh, uh, you know, this is why a position may be uh, because of consequences that I haven't uh, hadn't thought about, but once I hear about it, yes, it makes sense now, and uh, you know we can spread that to other individuals who may be thinking the same way that I was speaking previously. Really demonstrating that all voices matter. Yes, absolutely. that's right. Yeah. So um, this is such a, a privilege to have this conversation with you, and as we draw this to a close, do you have any final thoughts or recommendations? for our audience related to next steps in addressing racism in nursing? Maybe important steps an individual nurse could take in order to really have the most impact? That's a really great question, and, and thank you for the opportunity to uh, provide some uh, some final thoughts. I would say that, um, again, this is something that we need to work on together. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not a black-white issue. It is a issue that is affecting the human race, mm-hmm. and that we need to, um, you know, have those difficult conversations and do so in a manner that is welcoming, uh, that is open, and that um, will result in change. Um, we need to, you know, what's the old saying? Be the change that you, you know, that you want to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really do need to buy into that philosophy and have the. Um, uh, the ability, the strength, and the courage to have those difficult conversations, to go through that, and what's on the other side is, um, you know, is the uh, a better environment, a better world, a better profession. Uh, I think um, as nurses, we need to set the the pace for leadership for change, and continue to be the uh, the leaders of change. And part of that is. What we do best, which is uh, you know setting down, being advocates, mm-hmm. uh, you know not only for ourselves, for the profession, but for the the public and those that we care for. I uh, I love the phrase the world needs nurses. Yes, and and it does. And I um, 
think about what you have brought forward for all of us, particularly during this time of COVID, um, your support and encouragement of nurses to persist through really the most challenging times of a generation. Um, and I really thank you for your reflections today. Um, it will be an important conversation that I think we can look back on and draw lessons from and really appreciate your time today, well, Dr. Grant. Thank you so very much for having me. I've enjoyed my visit. Thank you. This has been a production of Open Pediatrics. You can find the resources and journal articles referenced in this podcast in the description. We have more podcasts like this one available everywhere you get your podcasts. Visit openpediatrics.org for more information. 